0: Thank you so much for joining today's podcast. My name is David here on Carbine Devils. Tonight, we're going to be having Mr. Peter Wackack expound on his story, Their God Fights for Them. And I'm sure you guys will be blessed. Enjoy. Their God Fights for Them. Nehemiah chapter 4. But before we get there, I'm going to tell a story of an encounter that happened in Nigeria and then at the end I'll finish the story. The year was 2005. We had been ministering among the Fulani for four years, four and a half years by that time and there were a number of converts. So we knew we needed to place a pastor there to help with the discipleship of these new believers. The area where we were working was 16 hours north of where Betty and I live, where our headquarters was. So we had to place someone up there. We went up there as a team with uh, a van, four-wheel drive van, and video projector, screen mounted on the back of the vehicle, uh, generator, all that sound equipment and everything, to show the Jesus film in this village to help give a boost to the new pastor that we placed there and uh, to be an encouragement to him. We first went to the chief of the village to ask permission to do that. You always have to do that. We got permission. And he said, by the way, this village was approximately 10,000 people in size. 99.99% Muslim. And we want to show the Jesus film. Well, the chief said yes. Only restriction Wait until after evening prayers were over, which we did. He gave us an area, a big market square, that by that time in the evening would be empty, the vendors would be gone, and uh, be a great place to shoot the film. So we set up, we waited for evening prayers to be over, and we began showing the Jesus film. About 15 minutes into the film, we began to sense some agitation in the crowd, a crowd of about 400, and soon they were shouting insults at us, mocking us, and then those insults and mocking began to shift to threats. And before long, stones began to fly. Not actually stones, because this was a desert area. There were, it was all sand. There were no stones. But there was a a mud brick wall on two sides of the market square. And it was stuccoed over. You know what I mean by stucco? Cement plaster on the outside of the wall which doesn't always adhere well to the mud brick. They were pulling off chunks of stucco, about three-quarters of an inch thick, and throwing chunks of that at us, stoning us. Uh, The team began to scramble, gather up equipment. Uh, They cut the cord of the generator. Everything went dark. They beat up several of our team. The only thing remaining was this big white screen on a pipe framework mounted on top of a Toyota Hi-Ace van. You have one here. I couldn't move without removing that. So I climbed up to the top of this Toyota Hi-Ace and it was a beautiful moonlit night and at that point in time a young man jumped up in front of the screen with a machete in his hand and began to say in his local language come on brothers let's finish this thing that we've started. Obviously wanting to take it to the next level. We thank God that the Lord allowed us to escape. We spent the night in a walled compound with two Muslim policemen uh, standing guard. Betty and I were sleeping in a tent. Tent doesn't provide much protection, the, the canvas. So that's where I'm going to pause the story other than to say from that point, the next morning actually, two young men came, Muslims, said we were there last night, we want to hear what you have to say about Isa al-Masihu, Jesus the Messiah. We said, okay, come in. And two of our guys sat down with them, opened scripture, and led both of them to Christ. How exciting. That was worth it all right there. So we left later that afternoon. We left a pastor in place. I, I admire his faith because I said, you don't have to stay. You can come back with us given the situation on ground. He said, no. God has called us here. These people, these converts need discipleship. Well, long story short, over the next month, 50 came. The next three months, there were hundreds and even to, today, there are thousands of Fulani converts beginning with that night of the stoning. Turn in your Bibles now to Nehemiah chapter 4. While you're turning, I'll give a little bit of a background. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, uh, there came a report that Nehemiah heard how the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, lying in ruins, And the people were suffering, those that were left, and struggling. And it brought tears to Nehemiah's face, to his heart. And he he cried out to God in prayer, Oh God, help my brothers. And there was planning. Uh, Chapter 2 says, Nehemiah asked the king for letters. Letters of safe passage so he could go there to Jerusalem. He asked for letters for lumber for, from the king's forest. Cool. Just like that. And the king gave him letters. And later on as he arrived there, Nehemiah inspired the people. Chapter 2, verse 17 says this, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Verse 18, And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build... Then they set their hands to do this good work. He inspired the people to do the work of rebuilding those walls. Have you ever been in that situation? A big task ahead of you and one of your leaders gets up and, wow, he's inspiring. We want to do this and here's the plan and Whoa, you say, that would be really cool. Count me in. I'm all in, right? I'm all in. So then chapter 3, Nehemiah uh, sets out the logistics. Each man, every head of a family, he gave a specific task. You go to this gate. Rebuild the gate and the wall. And it was all very specially laid out. And they began the work. But then, chapter, or verse 10, Nehemiah 4 and verse 10. Discouragement sets in. Ever find yourself in that situation? You've started a project. Things were going well. By this point, they had built the wall to half its height. You could still climb over. You didn't need a ladder. But there was a lot of work left to be done. And the people had become discouraged. Ever been discouraged yourself in ministry? Has your team ever been discouraged? Are you discouraged now? wondering how things will progress. We see in verse 10, then Judah said, that's most likely not one individual, but representatives from the tribe of Judah came and said the following in in verse 10. Well, Judah, wasn't that the kingly tribe? The tribe of King David? David? Where the kings would follow, where the Messiah would finally come from. This wasn't just any tribe. This was Judah. Verse 10 says Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. The bodies of the workers are too weak, there's fatigue. Any of you that are involved in camping, in the camping season, you know that last and final day of camp, you feel like you're dead. Your legs are maybe moving to get you to your home, to your sofa or to your bed, but you're so fatigued, you're so wiped out from camp season. John and Christy know that very well. Uh, and so do many of you. This is how the workers felt. I've been there. You've been there. Fatigue. And usually what sets in then is the burden of the task is too much. You become overwhelmed. What in the beginning was an exciting vision Oh, we're going to rebuild the walls. Exciting. We're going to have our city of Jerusalem back. Now is like, oh my goodness. I don't know if we're ever going to finish. It can't be done. Then you begin to say, the building project is too ambitious. In America, we have a saying, we bit off more than we could chew. Uh, you ever have a one of your little children? Uh, he's eating something, and he takes a mighty bite, and there's no way you can chew all of that. It, it, easy now, smaller bites, you'll get there. And they, they, they just they begin to fail. It's, Right about this time, you say, I thought he was going to preach a message on encouragement. This isn't very encouraging, is it, John? Uh, Well, we have to go down before we can go up. You see, they they had lost that vision, that original vision, that original plan. That had all gone by the wayside. You see... Uh, they were not only building up the walls. There were piles and piles of rubbish. Walls that had been knocked down and stones upon stones and foxes and everything had made their nest. For a hundred years, Jerusalem had laid that way. Do you think maybe people came and tossed their garbage there? I would imagine It was a broken down city. It became a garbage dump. All of that had to be cleared. Who of you likes to volunteer for trash removal? Picking up the trash? No, the Israelites didn't think that was easy either. Next, we see determination. Look at verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You see, all this while, Sanballat and Tobiah, enemies of the Jews, even before they started to build, began to speak out in opposition. You guys are crazy. You don't even know how to build. You build a wall, if a fox runs over the top, it will fall down. Well, then they started to build. They got halfway up. Then the threats became more serious when you least expect it when you don't even know we're coming and we're gonna finish you you will never finish the wall not too many people know this the last year that Betty and I were on the field I didn't even tell Betty at the time I probably should have she would have been more afraid I would get text messages from an unknown number. You know how you can block your number that you don't know who is sending it? On average, about once a week, text messages that would say something like, Today you will die. Or next week it would say, I'm going to kill you. You're dead meat. You'll never last the month. I don't think that person had the gift of encouragement. I had to seriously pray and say, Lord, what am I doing here? But actually, it wasn't too difficult for me because my life had been threatened Many more times previously. And I'd seen the faithfulness of God protecting me. So it really didn't bother me that much. Because who sends you texts and says they're going to do that? No. If they're really going to do that, they don't send you a text. They just come and shoot you or stab you or whatever they want to do. But that's discouragement. We see in verse 14, the first thing it says to the nobles and the leaders, do not be afraid of them. How many times in Scripture does it say, do not be afraid or fear not? Now, I've heard preachers say 365 times. Well, that sounds nice because it, matches one for every day of the year. I don't know if that's correct. I'm not saying that. I look at some of you Bible scholars to maybe give me guidance. It says it many many times throughout Scripture. Fear not. Do not be uh, fear th- fearful. And then this quote, and I am a bad preacher, Because I don't remember where I got this quote. It's not original with me. I stole it from someone. But I don't remember who. When faith in God is replaced by fear of men. Or frustration over circumstances. One's effectiveness in God's work comes to a halt. It stops. Fear can paralyze you faith energizes you. You can't move ahead without faith. You all know Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, well, maybe you couldn't please God a little bit somehow around the side. No. Without faith, it is impossible. That's a very strong word. There's no other way. It's impossible to please God. We must have faith. Would you say that now, currently, the day in which we live, the world is in fear? The world is in fear. I know my country of Canada is in fear. COVID. We're all going to die. Where is the faith? Where is the faith? Have you become paralyzed by fear in your ministry? What if? What if? What if? Is God asking you to move ahead? Is God asking you maybe to go into a dangerous area? I went to villages in the northeast of Nigeria where Boko Haram was doing quite well. We would go into the village briefly. We would fill up our jerry cans with fuel, fill up our jerry cans with water, get some food basics, and back out into the desert. We would never stay in a village. There would be time to plan and finish us. We'd go five, ten kilometers out into the middle of the desert and take out our camp cots and sleep underneath the stars. But those people needed to hear the gospel as well. One day we had the opportunity, we came across, we we didn't know in the beginning when we first met them, they were out in the desert Two brothers. And we began to share the gospel with them. Turns out they were Boko Haram fighters. Wonderful. (laughs) Sitting on a log, both of them hearing the message of the gospel. You could see in the one brother's eyes the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. He was under conviction. He never moved his eyes from the, the staff member, our team member who was sharing the gospel. The other brother was like, ah, come on, let's go. Ah, what do you, he wanted to go. Right there on that log, we led that one brother to Christ. The other one says, you're crazy, that's stupid, let's go. That one brother, a couple months later, contacted us and wanted to come to our discipleship training center and learn more about Isa al-Masihu and the Bible. He came, studied with us for three months. And one day there was a, a big war between the Nigerian army and Boko Haram up in the city of Maiduguri over 750 Boko Haram fighters were killed and I think maybe 100 or 150 soldiers died. The one brother who was at our DTC received a phone call. He was notified that his brother was killed in that war that day. And he turned to us and he said, Thank you. So much for sharing the gospel with me. Because if not for Jesus, Isa al-Masihu, I would have been fighting right beside my brother. I too would have died. And I too would have gone to hell where I know my brother is today. I'll never see him again. Two brothers, same log, Same gospel message. One accepted, one rejected. Faith or fear. Let faith rule your ministry. Let faith rule your life. But then it also says in the middle of that verse, remember the Lord great and awesome. Remember the Lord. What did... Joshua said to the people when they crossed over, um, they crossed over the, the, over the Jordan. They picked up those memorial stones, right? Verse uh, 4, or chapter 4 of Joshua, verses 21 uh, to 24. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers In time to come, saying, What are these stones? That memorial that they had built? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, different kind of fear. Reverential trust, not terrified of the Lord. In times of discouragement, you know what I suggest for people to do? Remember. Do you remember your calling? Do you remember how God called you to be a missionary? Do you remember the day you received the gift of salvation, forgiveness? Rehearse those great moments of your life. Remember. Remember. You will be encouraged by that. It will renew your vision, your purpose. I've been there. I've had to do this many times throughout my ministry. Be mindful of God. Remember, great and awesome. But then, don't just sit there. Be Proactive. Get busy. Fight. The second part or the last part of verse 14. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Get busy. Get going. Work up a plan. And get it done. Fight for your families. Next we see... In verse 20, verse 20, in between 14 and 20, they worked on the construction, Uh, some armed themselves and stood guard, others worked on the wall, they had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand, that's how they finished the work, it wasn't easy, but they did it. They got busy. And they got it going again. Well, let me read verse 20 first. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. How did they know that? We go back in their history. Exodus fourteen, verses thirteen and fourteen. The Israelites are standing on the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptians and their chariots are rushing in. You can see the billowing dust behind, and they're rushing to kill them all. They're in fear. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Do you believe the Lord will fight for you? Or that was just the Israelites back in the old days. This is a Bible story. and uh, Trust me, God will fight for you. They needed to be attentive. To listen for the trumpet. Are you listening for the Lord's leading? They had to listen for that clear call of the trumpet to follow that sound to where Nehemiah would want them to go to fight. Are you listening for that still small voice in your heart in your time of prayer and devotion how God wants to lead you and the ministry? Be quick to assemble Gather your team. You're not in this alone. You have a team. Either a team on your field or we have a couple of you who are here. You don't have a a team. But you have a team. You have a team. Gather together with your team. And be aware. God is the one who fights for us. It's not luck or being in the right place at the right time. Our God fights for us. Do you remember we left off the story at the beginning? The Muslims there in... in well, the name of the town was Malam Fatori, had stoned us. The Lord had spared our lives that night. God used that, He turned that bad thing into good for those that are called according to His purpose, right? Hundreds, thousands began to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That was 2005. Fast forward three years, 2008. There was this big man in the village of Malamfatori. I say big man because he looked a little bit like me, maybe even, well actually he was quite a bit bigger than me. Uh, He had been feeding well, as they say in Nigeria. Uh, meaning he was wealthy, he could for, afford enough food to feed well. So, but he was also an influential man, the most influential man of the village. So, when I say big man, it means the big man, influentially, politically, big man, physically, all around, he was the big man. This man was disturbed by how many people were coming to know Christ and were joining with these Christians at the DTC. Some of them were were coming and being discipled and it disturbed him so much. He said, I'm going to throw a feast for the whole village. The purpose of this feast is to get rid of the infidels in our midst. I will call the imams to come and to pray and we'll get rid of the infidels. There was a Fulani chief who maintained a house in that village. He was also an influential man. We'd shared the gospel with him several times. Didn't want any part of it. He said, "Uh uh-huh, this is a good opportunity For me politically, influentially, I will donate three bulls from my herd for the feast. Well, that's pretty nice. Now, while all of these preparations were being made and, and the invitations were going out, there's this one young man going around the village contradicting the big man. Is that culturally appropriate anywhere in Africa? No, no, no. That's like Peter. You say, we're going to do something. you give an instruction. And one of the interns says, no, no, no. We're not doing what Peter says. Uh, maybe he won't be around here too long. <laughs> no, very, you don't do that. But this young man was very outspoken. Don't do this thing. Their God fights for them. What? Don't do this thing. I advise you, don't throw this feast. Don't. Their God fights for them. Did the big man listen? No. Plans were made. The very day comes. The bulls were slaughtered, facing... Mecca, the blood is spilled onto the, the, the soil. The meat is roasted, shared. The imams come, they offer prayers to Allah. Please rid us of these infidel in our midst. The day is over. Festivities have wound down. The big man owns a nice big plot of land about five or six kilometers in one direction where there's a little body of water, a little, little lake. And he can irrigate this dry season farm. And he has someone tending it, growing vegetables. And he wants to check on things, see how everything is. He takes his double barrel shotgun with him because sometimes there's ducks or other waterfowl in, in the water. And he likes fresh meat. So he goes and I guess he does some hunting. Comes back to the vehicle and leans the gun against the outside of the vehicle. He opens the door and he gets in. He's a big man, so that shakes the car a little bit. The gun slides down, lands in his lap, blows blows his whole insides away. I guess a double-barrel shotgun has two triggers. He must have cocked both triggers. Maybe he fired one and forgot the other one was still cocked. And the very movement falling down on his lap caused it to go. He's dead by his own gun. Now he's a big man, so he has a driver. He doesn't drive himself. He doesn't drive his own vehicle. The driver gets his body back to the town and... Tells everybody what happened. Word spreads throughout that village. Their God fights for them. Their God fights for them. Brothers and sisters, our tiny staff at our DTC in the middle of a 100% Muslim area Muslim village we could not have withstood anyone coming against us to finish the infidels. Our God fought for us. He's the same God that fought for the Israelites at the Red Sea. Fought for Nehemiah and the Israelites building that wall He's no different today. And he is here to fight for you. I don't know what situation you are in today. God knows it. God will fight for you. Just like he did for them. God bless you all.